That was Turkish Airlines uh, flight advice, uh, which uh, is interesting. Um, the problem is I'm not sure that I trust Lego figures. In fact, I'm almost positive I don't trust Lego figures. But the thing I do know is I know very little about aeroplanes. In fact, I know very little about how aeroplanes work, let alone some of the safety things that are important on an aeroplane. To the point where I concluded while I was putting this together, I don't even know the things I'd need to consider about safety, let alone how to be safe in them. That's how little I know about planes. So when a video with tiny yellow small Lego figures tells me a whole load of information, I need to decide if I trust them. I am genuinely not sure how people who didn't know that was the video that would play the first time Turkish Airlines put that on their flight responded. I'm not sure if they got off or they were genuinely concerned or just totally cool with the fact that Lego had just done a whole safety procedure for a flight that was going transatlantic. But we need to decide what we trust. That's what we're going to look at this evening in this continuation of childlike faith is where is our trust? What is it that we trust in? Because sometimes when we trust ourselves, we don't always know that we've done something wrong. In fact, we are always limited by the knowledge or the experience that we have around us. So whilst we might trust ourselves in a situation, we might not even know what the next thing is to be prepared for. We're not always good at correcting ourselves, of admitting when we've done something wrong. So when you watch a video like that that explains how to evacuate a plane, we need to decide, do we trust the information we're being given? Do we trust the person giving us the information or do we trust ourselves? It makes a wonderful point when it's Lego figures. Because the problem we have is whilst they are children's toys, the video is true. The information they're giving us is the truth. We do need to know how to evacuate a plane. We need to know that you can't smoke. We need to know about storing luggage. We need to know all of these things. But they're still Lego figures. They're still Lego figures. And there's an outside chance I know better. So we're left in this question of trust. And this is where we find ourselves this evening. Do we trust God? It's very easy to answer in here. But do we trust God? Because the idea of knowing that we don't know everything is quite hard for us. We quite like feeling like we've got things under control. But tonight as we move forward, my prayer is this, that we remember to trust like we did when we were children. To trust like we haven't got all the answers, like we haven't got everything together. I'm going to ask Trevor to come and give us our reading this evening. Thank you, Trevor. Our first reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verses 46 to 50, and it's from the NIV. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. 
Jesus, knowing their thoughts, to a little child, he went to a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. Master, said John, we saw someone drive out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. And then Matthew's record of the same incident, Matthew 18, verses 1 to 5. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And may God grant through his Holy Spirit complete understanding of his word. Thank you, John. Thank you, sir. Let's just pray together. Father God, I thank you again for this word. Again, for those who have been here multiple times, may we not just have heard that story and dismiss it. God, may everything in us that flares up when we feel like this is silly or we already know it or we know better. God, I just pray this evening your spirit would be at work, that God, you would just break down any of those barriers. God, would we leave this place knowing you are for us and we can trust you. So would you just be with us now, God? Amen. I wonder if we've considered how do we become like the little child that was brought before Jesus. How do we become that childlike? I don't know if you ever consider what's going on. When Jesus tells a parable, we can assume there is no pre-story or post-story. A parable in and of itself is a story. But when we read these accounts of Jesus, we need to remember they were in the context of life. So I wonder if any of you have ever considered what was going on with the child. I very much would imagine that child left home that morning with words of wisdom, of love, ringing, probably warning, ringing in their ears. Don't stay out too late. Don't forget your packed lunch. Remember I love you. Have you got a coat? You know the kind of things that we tend to warn a child of when they are about to leave home. Someone, somewhere, was looking out for that child. 
That child didn't just go without some form of support mechanism. The problem we have as adults and the greatest challenge we face is that we've concluded we know what's best for us. We have watched a world tell us we need to look out for ourselves. And then if we look around us, we see others looking out for themselves and we feel the need to play the same game. We've become aware of people trying to get one over on us. People hurting us. People betraying us. So we find ourselves in this game of concluding that we know best. Yet when Jesus draws this child into the midst of him and the disciples, this child will still have the words of wisdom ringing in its ears. Yet to have decided it knows best. From conversations I've had, if it's on the brink of teenagehood, it's probably already decided it knows best. But younger children don't know As we grow older, as we begin to develop adulthood, sometimes even within our faith, we start to decide we know best. Not because we know best, but because we don't like the answer we've been given. So it's not that we necessarily know better, we just know that's not what we want. That's not, God, I prayed, and that's not the answer I wanted, so I'm just going to pretend that that didn't happen. I'm going to pretend that you made a mistake, God, and I'm going to go for what I think is a better option. We live our lives like we can get away with kind of dodging the bits that are uncomfortable, that we're not sure work for us. When things don't go our way, we get wound up, we get frustrated, we get impatient. All of these things, whether we consciously acknowledge them or not, lean into the fact that we have within ourselves decided we know best. Why are you frustrated? Because somehow you've decided a timeline that things should have happened on. We've begun to decide in our adulthood that we know best. So now we have a responsibility, a challenge before us as Jesus brings this child in to learn to trust him again. To learn to trust the one who knows immeasurably more than we do. In fact, he knows so much more than we do, we don't even know what we don't know that he knows. And he was there at the beginning. He has a plan and a purpose for our life. We read throughout the scriptures all of these promises and somehow we need to teach ourselves to trust him. Because in here it's pretty easy to say, yeah, Tim, I do. I do. How many of us, if we were honest, would admit in the last seven days we have found ourselves frustrated at the timing that something has taken? For me, it tends to be real simple things. Cooking chips... The amount of raw chips I eat is unbelievable. Why? They take too long. But I do it in my faith. I pray, God, would you do this? I ring the person. How are you doing? Oh, not good. God, come on, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. Somehow I've decided I know better, but yet as I read the promises of God, I realize he knows more than I do. So I need to learn to trust him again. As I grew up, my parents gave me those warnings. To begin with, I listened, and as I developed, I began to listen less. I used to have the same set of warnings because my parents knew me incredibly well. First one, do not play football in front of the greenhouse. Seems sensible. Second one, do not run through stinging nettles when you're wearing shorts. 
Third one, which is a worrying level of consistency that I thought back into my childhood, do not lick batteries. Turns out I did not listen to that particularly well as a child. It's a reoccurring memory of mine that I was warned not to. I was told these things continually, and don't get me wrong, I have smashed more greenhouse windows than I care to recall, and I have spent many times crying with legs covered in stinging nettles because for some reason I felt like I could get through them without being stung. But all of those situations served as a really simple lesson. They served as a simple lesson because I was warned not to play football there or I might break the greenhouse, and I did. I was told not to run through stinging nettles because I would hurt myself, and I did. The lesson they taught me was, you know, I could probably trust these guys. It would appear they have my best interest at heart. They are not simply just ruining my fun by suggesting I use another part of the garden to play football. They aren't looking to slow my life down by saying, if you walk round the stinging nettles to get to the other side, you will save yourself pain. The conclusion I could draw as I look back on the warnings and the mistakes was this. I could trust them. I could trust them. They were looking out for me. In fact, they were aspiring for me to be more, to go further, and to do better. They weren't just looking for me to survive. They were investing in me to go onwards. So the question we need to ask ourselves is this. Are we learning from the bad times? Are we learning from the mistakes that we're in? Are we looking at the situation and saying, you know what, God, maybe you do know best? Or are we finding ourselves, as we seem to do in humanity, in a cycle? A cycle where we hear a warning and we ignore it and we hurt ourselves and then we repent and we apologize and we say, you know what, I'm never going to do that again. And within five days, if you're disciplined, and three if you're not, You're doing it again. Why? Somewhere deep within us, as we've grown up into adulthood, we have decided that, you know what, we still know best. We still know best. This truth is incredibly simple. I pray that it works as profoundly for you as it did for me as I wrote it. We can trust God. We can trust God if we could just get over believing we know best. The biggest thing stopping us from fully trusting God, I believe, is the fact we think we know best. I've written this in capitals. I'm not going to shout it, but please hear it as clearly as I want it to be. I love you guys, but you do not know better than God. And by all means, talk to me afterwards if you think we want to have a discussion about that. But I am confident in the statement, you do not know better than God. In fact, in regards to the video we began with, the truth is, I actually don't know better than small Lego figures in the context of that video. I've never been on a Turkish airline flight. I could not tell you where the exits are. I could not tell you where I store things. I know, if honest, I couldn't even tell you what color the plane was apart from the fact that the, yellow, uh, the Lego one was white. But in that moment, I did not know more than tiny yellow Lego figures. Which means if tiny little yellow Lego figures can give me information about a plane, how much more can I trust God who made everything? How much more can I say to God, you know what, I don't really get the situation, I don't know what's happening, and I really want a solution, God, it's really getting to me now, but I trust you. 
I trust you. And I concede that I don't know best. The challenge we face is to be like children. The problem is to be like a child means that even when it makes no sense, even when our adult brains are saying, you know what, this is, this is the wrong solution. This is the wrong way to do it. Even when it seems like it's going too slow. Even when injustice fires up in us and we say, you know what, God, this is wrong. This is not how it should happen. Or whatever excuse it is we decide to use, we need to return to that childlike faith and trust God. And trust him. We need to learn to trust him in his timings. I don't know if you've ever really considered how impatient we've become with God. We need to trust him in his timings. We need to trust him in his answers. We need to trust in his love for us. And this one, which I think is key for us, we need to trust in all he has already done. How quickly do we forget how far we've come? When things get difficult, we can just dismiss years of testimony, years of watching God at work. Because for some reason, we've let our gaze drop. We've stopped trusting. The final point that I want to draw for us as we conclude, I guess, this little journey into childlike faith is probably the most simple. And yet, I would suggest the hardest. The challenge is this, to be like a child. I said for those this morning, if you weren't here, please don't mistake childlike faith for childishness. Childishness is temper tantrums. Childishness is kicking out and getting sulky and all of those other things. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says to be childlike. So we need to learn to return to that state. And I think this is possibly the most profound point of all. I want you to think for a second, where do children love to be? Where do children love to be? Sometimes it might be the zoo. For some of them, it's the park. If they're anything like Evie, it's Tesco's. But even with Evie, if she is tired, if she's confused, if she's hurting, if she's scared, the place she wants to be, the place that she feels most secure, is home. Is home. Children know the anchor to their lives is home. They know that's the source. Now please hear this. I use home in the same way that I use the word church. Home is a building, but a building alone does not make home. The same way the church is a building, but the building alone is not church. You see, a child finds strength, security, and satisfaction in the security, love, joy, and support of home of parents, of guardians, of the people that encompass them, embrace them, and support them. So I want to ask you this question. And this is the crux of childlike faith. When did you last simply enjoy the presence of God? 
When did you last simply enjoy the presence of God? When did you delight in the fact that he is present in your life? Because there are times when a child is more than happy just to be in their safe space. Everything they need. We have that every day of our lives with God's presence and yet somehow we allow the busyness of our diaries and the middle of raging arguments, difficult financial times, all of those other things get in the way and yet we can hear throughout scripture, we can be assured of his presence always. So when did you last delight in the presence of God? I want to read Psalm 46 to you, just a small extract to make this point. Psalm 46, from 7 onwards. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord. The desolation, I'm sorry, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations I'll be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I don't know if you've ever read that and realized how little it has to do with anything we can do. It's all about God. All about what he can do. All about what he has done. And then bang in the middle in verse 10, it has this command. Be still and know that I am God. You want to know where your safe space is? You want to know where you can source yourself? You want to know what home looks like for you? It is that truth. Be still. That's as far as you need to travel to find God. Stopping. When did you last delight yourself in the knowledge you were in the presence of God? So much stuff gets in the way. So much stuff piles up in our homes, things, bits. So much stuff needs to be done. There's so many things that demand our time and our attention and we get caught up in all of it and we forget the most simple and beautiful fact. God is with us. God is with us. His presence in our lives every moment of every day. When did you last stop and just realise that in amongst everything, all of the mess, all of the challenges, all of the joys, all of the celebrations, whatever it may look like for you, you can just stop and be in the presence of God. That is an unbelievable truth and that takes a huge level of discipline, an almighty amount of trust to be able to say, you know what God, I'm going to take my hands off of all of these situations. I'm just going to revel in the fact that you're here, God. I'm going to delight in the fact that you are present in, my, uh, present in my life. And I'm going to trust that you have what is best for me. I'm going to trust that what comes of this is your will. I'm going to trust in who you are. You know why? He knows better than you do. This whole story is based in the context of this argument between the disciples. An argument started amongst the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. The other translation, at this time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? An argument about who was the greatest. Between 12 people that spent time with Jesus. 
In fact, the thing that I just find baffling about this is that these 12 are having this argument with Jesus with them. Within earshot of the conversation is Jesus, who's done some crazy things by this point, and there's more to come for them. But in the midst of Jesus' actual presence, we hear the disciples going, do you reckon I'm better than you? I did that thing last week. Why? Why in the midst of Jesus? Uh, sorry, in the midst of Jesus' presence, the disciples get caught in this argument. You know, one of the big things I've concluded is they needed something tangible. Their way of understanding how the whole process was working was, where do we fit? How does it fit? What can we judge it by? What can we gauge it by? Have I achieved enough? Am I lacking? They get caught looking at the situation with worldly eyes. In fact, they get caught, we read, trying to make sense of something that just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Why? They have Jesus with them. And yet they're having a conversation about who's the greatest. It would be up there with trying to work out, should we get Pepsi or Coke for dinner tonight? Doesn't matter. Jesus is with them. There is way more agenda going on for them, way more things they can explore, way more that God is doing, and yet they've let all sorts of stuff get in the way. I do that. I do that. It may not be an argument, but there's things that get in the way, and I lose sight of that truth. I lose sight of the truth that God is present, that he's for me, and that I can trust him. So if the argument was happening with the disciples, with Jesus only a few steps away, of the, away from them, I think it's easy for us to realize that we will struggle with the simplicity of being childlike. It will be a struggle. Physical Jesus with them and they struggled with it. I'm going to begin to wrap it up with this. If you're not content with the simple fact that God is for you, if you cannot delight in that, if you cannot just stop on that truth that God is for you, I promise you this, the world will never satisfy you. It may promise you a lot. It at times may look like it's rewarding you. It may look like it loves you. But I promise you this, if you do not find satisfaction in the fact that God is for you, the world will fall very, very short. God is for you. He is present. The single greatest thing we have in our entire lives is God. The very best of our achievements, second. The greatest thing we own, maybe ninth. The legacy we leave, awesome, but third. Nothing, nothing in our lives compares to this truth that we have God. So we need to trust him and we need to rejoice in it and we need to believe it. We need to really believe that truth that the greatest thing we have is God and then we need to live it because right here and right now it's easy. I'm sure if we did it, they'd be like, amen, God is for me, Tim, you're so right, all of this stuff. That would be the response here. Here it is easy to trust God. What does it look like next week when the diagnosis comes back the way we didn't want it to be? What does it look like in a few months when work dries up? Times are hard. 
What does it look like when that person that you have poured your life into stops talking to you? What does it look like when everything is going wrong and nothing appears to be going right? Then in those moments when everything seems to be falling apart, then can you have childlike faith? Then can you take that truth that God is for you, that he is present? Can you in those moments be still and say, you know what? God, you are good. Because that's what trusting God looks like. Not a naivety, please hear me. I'm not saying to be childish and just ignore all the problems. They are still the reality, but the truth is they are not as big as God is. They are not going to overcome God's plan and purpose in your life. Because being childlike means that all of the best plans that we've maybe made, all of the savings that we've got, all of the angry texts that have made us feel better, they will fade. They will fade. But to be truly childlike, this is in closing, to be truly childlike is to be still, is to know God, and it's to let God bring healing from the hurts. Childlike allows God to bring the healing in the hurts. Childlike leaves space for God to provide when everything seems lost. Childlike is trusting God will provide when everything is lost. Childlike lets the Father soothe the frustrations. Childlike lets us take our foot off the pedal, step back, just give it to God. It should be the single most liberating thing we can do, and yet we so infrequently do it. I'd argue the most grown-up thing we can do is to be childlike. I'd argue the single most grown-up thing that we can do is to be childlike because the truth is most of us as adults have spent our lives listening to someone else tell us how to act. Maybe if we looked at how Jesus called us to act, we could appreciate that to be childlike is to trust, to be honest, to be vulnerable, To be childlike and to accept it is to know that this book is full of people being childlike and full of promises and stories of a God who loves you. My life, your lives, if you ask the question, if you look back, are full of those truths, full of those answers, full of those miracles that can only be God. So how do we be childlike? I would suggest this. There are so many ways, but for us as a tangible to take away today, remember what he has done. Remember what he's done. Makes a huge difference. Believe in what he is doing. Believe in what he is doing in your life, in the lives of those around you right now. And this may be the most challenging for us. Would you dare to be excited for what God's going to do next? Remember what he's done. Remember the stories and the things that have happened in your life and in the lives of those that you love. Believe in what he is doing right now, this very moment in your life, over this week, in the week to come. And then beyond that, are you willing to be excited for what God's going to do? Because that only comes with trust. That comes with that childlike faith. 
of honesty and expectancy.